So there was a mom who went in for a scheduled meeting with her son's school counselor. Throughout the summer, she had been working with a number of different professionals to address her son's significant behavior issues. As summer was getting close to being over, this mom wanted to know more about how her child's school was going to work with her son, given all of the progress that was made over the last few months. She was a little confused as to the plan, and so she wanted some clarification. So she goes into this meeting and she says to the school counselor, I heard something about getting a 504 plan for my son, but I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Can you explain it to me? And the counselor says this, oh, no, 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 no. He's got an IEP, EDBD, not a 504. So we need to document how we differentiate for him for future RTI consultations. We're trying to keep full inclusion if possible. Does that make sense? Does that clarify things for you? <laughs> oh my God, has this ever happened to you before? Have you ever gone to a doctor's appointment or talked with a contractor doing a major construction project on your house or sought assistance from a Medicare specialist or advice from a financial planner only to have a bunch of industry jargon, cliches and buzzwords thrown at you as if that's going to be helpful? I mean, that is so frustrating. <laughs> Just so you know, I totally made up that scenario with the high school counselor, although the phrase the counselor used was real, so I am told. If you are curious, the English translation for those not in education is this. The counselor was saying this. He's in special education for emotional or behavior disorders, but we're trying to keep him in a regular classroom setting. We need to document everything we do so that we can help him stay in that setting. <laughs> so why didn't you say so, right? I mean, I've had conversations where, if I, where I have had to say to people, I am not in your industry. I don't speak your jargon. Just talk to me using language that we share so I can understand what you're saying. Sometimes I feel this way towards religious leaders, towards religious people in general, and even the words that we encounter in the biblical story. Today, our focus text is spiritually life-giving, uplifting, and hopeful, but it's packed full of words that I think are Christian buzzwords, cliches, and jargon. <laughs> so let me read this, uh, this text for you today. It comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. We're going to focus on verses 32 through 40. You can follow along on your screens. And, and Jesus says this, do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will fasten his belts and have them sit down to eat and he will come and serve them. 
If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. I've been frustrated in the past by religious language that is A, either hard to understand, or B, so frequently used that I am no longer sure as to what its meaning is. There is hope in this gospel story that we just read, but there are also some prominent religious cliches and jargon in this reading as well that have actually harmed people. And that frustrates me. And I don't want these readings to be used to harm you. Don't be afraid. Be ready. I mean, the, the, these are the two big cliches and, and religious jargony phrases that stand out to me that I have used, that I've heard you so often in the past. So don't be afraid, right? <laughs> That's what Jesus tells his disciples at the beginning. And it is a reoccurring theme throughout the biblical story. Don't be afraid. True story this time. Yeah, I didn't make this one up. So very recently, I talked to an older guy, an older guy, about his wife who is pretty sick with, I, I can't remember exactly, but it's a form of aggressive cancer. He has family members who are very religious and have said to him on multiple occasions, oh, don't worry, don't be afraid. We've been praying, she'll be okay. God's got this. After saying this, he said to me, I just want to hit these people. <laughs> it's understandable. I mean, he's terrified. What, what, he, what is he supposed to feel? What, is he, what, what he is going through is hard. It's new. There is no guarantee of anything. I mean, I, in my drives around the community, I mean, I've been seeing yard signs that say, God's got this. That's, that's all it says, three words, God's got this. And I think that's fine, but what does that mean? I mean, I honestly don't know what that means. Does it mean, like, don't worry? Don't be afraid? <laughs> I, I mean, a few decades ago, the Christian cartoon series called VeggieTales came out, and there was one called, God is Bigger Than the Boogeyman. Or at least that was the name of the song. I don't remember if that was the title of the actual episode or not. But, but my point is this. I, again, this message to kids in that episode was this. God is with you. Therefore, you don't need to be afraid. I'm sorry. I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> I mean, part of what it means to be human is that we will be afraid, we will worry, we will feel like things are not okay, and that is okay. So let me rephrase this piece of Christian jargon, right? In your fear, God walks with you so that your fear will not paralyze you, overpower you, or destroy you. 
The story of our faith is not about the removal of fear, but it is about God moving into our fears and our anxiety to produce life and hope. The person that I previously mentioned, whose wife has cancer, he will not stop being afraid. I think that's unrealistic to even think that. And, and together, he and his wife will walk the road that is before them, but their family and community and church will join them. And in their fear, there will also be love and support and grace. And in these interactions, God's presence is there. And while it is an awful road, fear will not destroy them. It will not devour them, regardless of where the road will lead. And that is hopeful. The next piece of religious jargon in our readings today is just this phrase, be ready. Yeah, most people don't know this, but early Christians writing much of the New Testament, they fully believed that God was in the final phase of bringing about God's kingdom and reconciling all of creation with God's self. There were many who believed that the end of the world, so to speak, was going to take place in their lifetime. So they wrote with a sense of urgency. And that comes out in different ways and in different parts of the biblical story, including what we just heard using the ancient practices of slaves and their masters as a metaphor. Now this language of slaves and masters is not language that we're used to now or even really comfortable with, but nonetheless, good slaves were to be ready to have their lamps lit, to be awake, even if it's in the middle of the night, so they can welcome their master and in turn enter into the celebration of, of his arrival. <laughs> in other words, the biblical writers are imploring their community to be ready because the kingdom of God was at hand. Get ready by living into it. Give generously, love unconditionally, and focus on God's kingdom as if it was here because it will be soon. Now, when we don't see this context, get ready, that phrase, it becomes an overused piece of Christian jargon to mean something like, get ready, because if you were to die today, do you know where you would go? Are you saved? Have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Get ready for eternity, because you are going to die and you don't want to burn in hell, do you? Oh God, I mean, used this way, this phrase is a fear tactic that's been weaponized to sort people into those who are loved by God and saved, and those who are hellbound. Yeah. Get ready. It has nothing to do with that. Instead, it's a biblical phrase that is an invitation 
to awareness. An awareness that God is in all things, through all things. So pay attention, look around and see that God is with your neighbor in need. See that God mourns with those who are grieving. See that God rejoices with those at your cousin's birthday. And see that God is present in the tears of a mother who miscarried her first child. And because God is already there, and God's kingdom is breaking into our world into our world get ready by loving God through loving the world and the people in it don't be afraid get ready hear these phrases in our reading for today not as overused religious jargon but for what they are life-giving and hopeful God is present in our world. God is active in our world. God's kingdom is breaking in within the joy and sorrow of life, in every nation, in every people, in the major crises of our world, and in our individual struggles. So be aware, look, see, and then be ready. Be ready to live into God's kingdom, to live into grace, to live into compassion, into generosity, and into love, hopeful that even in our fear, there can be life. That is how I would rephrase our reading we heard today. A story that is full of good news once you get past the religious jargon. This is the good news that we hear today. Thanks be to God for that. Amen. After hearing our focus reading and the reflection on that reading, here are a couple of reflection questions that you can discuss with your family, journal about on your own, or even just think about as you're out for a walk to help you develop a deeper, more robust faith. Question number one, what religious words or phrases have you found particularly unhelpful, confusing, or even harmful? Think about that for a minute. And then question number two is this. What religious words or phrases have you found particularly life-giving? I think that's going to be worth your time to go a step deeper into the story that we heard today.